Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders, co-sponsored by Luther Seminary's Faith Lead and Lead. Welcome to Pivot. Our episode today is on our new home. My name is Terry Elton, and I'm from Luther Seminary. And I'm Scott Cormode, and I'm a professor at Fuller Seminary. And I'm Louise Johnson, and I work with LEAD. So I have to be honest with y'all. We're a hundred and some days into uh, being staying at home, at least here in Minnesota. And um, I'm really stuck with trying to figure out a sustainable life pattern within this pandemic. I uh, long to a new normal that we're not going to have. And I can't live on hold anymore. I feel like I need to figure out what it means to like be proactive or figure out a new time, uh, what this means for us. Am I alone here? Certainly not. Yeah, I was on a walk with a good friend of mine last night and I was just reflecting with her and, you know, just saying, you know, I, I moved here to Minnesota about six months ago and of course, anticipating that move, I, I just had this vision about what my life would be like. And I liked it a lot. I liked what I had in my mind. And I got to live into that new life for about six weeks before we were in the midst of a pandemic. And I was just saying to her last night that I, I'm realizing that I have to let go of that vision, that I just have been in this kind of holding pattern, you know, like an airplane above the airport that can't land. I've just been in this holding pattern and I'm running out of gas. You know, there's just no, um, and there's nowhere else to go. And then I'm going to have to land the plane and figure out how to, how to live in the time that I'm in, because I'm just coming to terms with the fact that we're not going back, that this place that is foreign to us is our new home. I think what we're trying to, to ask ourselves is why is it hard and how do we stay? I'm thinking about why it's hard. All of us have built into our lives certain safety valves, ex- escape mechanisms, things we do when we want to lower the, the temperature when we feel stressed. And for most of us, Those options don't exist anymore. Some of us like to go out to dinner with a friend or you go to a movie or you have coffee or you go to a gym. I happen to live near a hiking area um, that's a couple hundred yards from my house. I can take my dog anytime I want and we can go up in the hills. They have, the county has fenced it all off. Even the, the secret little places that the neighbors know where you can go in, those are all fenced off with big, thick fence None of this stuff that you can kind of make a show of, oh, we'll pretend that the fence is there and then we'll sneak in around. No, this is, this is serious. We're not going in there. Whatever it is that we want to do, we can't do. And so we're kind of locked into our homes looking for some kind of a way to escape. That's why it's hard. But Louise, I really love your question. The way you said it is the place that is foreign to us is our new home. How do I stay in this foreign place that is my new home? Yeah, I, I think it's one thing when you when you plan a trip abroad, right? And you look forward to that. But it's another thing when you end up in a foreign place without planning for it. And in this case, right, it's come to us, this foreign place that we 
uh, didn't really choose and frankly, we can't leave. And even if we go back, right? Even if there comes a time when, you know, we're not living in quarantine and we don't have to wear masks, when we go outside and we can do things like shake hands and hug our friends, even if we do go back, enough time has passed now that it's going to be another adjustment. It's going to be another new normal of what that looks like. And so the question is, how do we make patterns that are sustainable in this new place? That's your question, Terry, right? Like, how do we begin to live here in this place and time now? And what occurs to me as I um, have been working with church leaders and just listening to so much of the pain and struggle is that lots of us and lots of them created patterns and practices that were designed for a short time. They were designed for eight or 10 weeks, which back in March is about how long we thought that was the long side of um, how we would be in this pattern of quarantine and pandemic. And of course, you know, we're now months and months and months into this. And um, it looks like we're going to spend at least the better part of a year in this kind of a pattern. And so how do we both come to terms with the fact that, you know, this isn't just pushing pause, but this is a new normal, and then begin to build patterns that are sustainable for us in this time. I'm amazed at how what we have experienced, are experiencing, has been experienced before by God's people. And in several places in my life, scripture verses and and experiences of people in exile have been speaking to me. And there's these verses at the beginning of Jeremiah 29 that are challenging me. I haven't figured them out yet, but they're challenging me on how to make a pivot here, how to make a shift to this coming to terms that I have to make a new home. And here the prophet Jeremiah is talking to the people and he says, the Lord of hosts says to all those in exile who I sent, I hate that part, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says this, build homes and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. And in the end, he said, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. There's something to me about leaning into a time where you build homes and you plant gardens that doesn't say you're just temporarily there. To to get in community and get in relationships and to have a vision or an idea of being about the welfare of the city. These ideas are challenging me in this time around what it means to make home in this foreign place that I did not choose, but perhaps God is sending me into. One of the biblical texts that comes to mind for me is also related to exile. And it's Psalm 137. And the the verse or the question that that comes to mind for me is how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And of course, in the psalm, it's a it's a kind of 
taunt the Babylonians are asking the Israelites to sing a song of praise to God because, you know, it's a sort of like, look at your God now. And, and, you know, it's a sort of, they're mocking them, but the question still remains, how do we, how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? So much of what we do and how we understand who God is, is, patterned for us it it's associated and connected for us in the buildings in which we worship and the places and the people with whom we worship and the ways in which we do that and the sound of the song and so when we begin to bring these old practices into this foreign place they sound strange to us right so there is a kind of strangeness I think about what it is that we're doing, but we don't know what the new things are yet. And so we keep singing the old songs in this new place and it's, it's a strange feeling. And yet part of our calling as the psalmist tells us is the importance of remembering who God is, remembering Jerusalem, thinking back to who God is and what God has done for us. So the last few weeks, I've been helping our daughter and son-in-law move into a new home, literally. And I was there again this weekend, and I was unpacking boxes once again and putting them away. And I think about the practices for me when I move into a new house. You have to find new patterns. You have to find new practices. You have to figure out what's the best place in the kitchen to put the silverware and the baking stuff and our food. And I I literally had to laugh because the first round of unpacking, my mom and I just kind of put stuff in the kitchen. And now that they've been there a few weeks and have been using the kitchen, things have got moved around a bit because it didn't function best where it was. And we just, we had no, we had no idea of where the best things that were like, we just put it on a shelf. You take it from there. And I think of the lessons that I've learned from unpacking a house or moving into a new house, that there's trial and error and a lot of chaos that we unpacked and there were boxes and stuff, but we got rid of one set of that. But then we also, it was no big deal to say, you know what, let's move the spices from this counter to this counter, or let's move the glasses up a shelf, or let's put them those things away in the other room. And I think as we live more deeply into our lives, we do the basics and then we do the next layer and the next layer. And that's a normal thing as we're moving into a house. But I wonder about if those are some practices I need to do in my own house that I'm not moving into. And one of the things that I realized is that I like getting rid of the chaos moving as soon as possible. And what my daughter and son-in-law are teaching me in this time is it's okay to have some chaos. They do a little bit and then they pause. And then they unpack a little bit more and they move things around and they pause. And I know that for me, one of the lessons that I need to learn is to let go of the control that I think I have. And in moving, you don't have as much control maybe as you thought, but certainly in the midst of a pandemic, I don't have control. And one of the, and the piece that has been interesting to me is not only have I been learning lessons to them, 
as they're, as I watch them and participate with them. But I'm also doing that in South Minneapolis. And every time I drive by, I see a city trying to think anew about what it means to be for all people. I see signs I, uh, on lawns. I see neighbors talking to neighbors. I see businesses being rebuilt. And I'm reminded that it's not just my kid's house that's being put together again. It's a community and that I have a part. And so I'm intrigued by what does it mean to live into a new home for the welfare of the city? What I keep thinking about is how, how do we live for today and for tomorrow when neither is just like the past? We are so used to today being a bit like yesterday, and we're used to anticipating that tomorrow will be mostly like today. We're, u- we're not used to inventing our way into the future. It's like we're hikers, and we're used to hiking on the same kinds of trails, but now those trails are closed off to us. And now we're hiking in areas that don't have well-developed trails. We're kind of picking our way through the bushes. And it's so exhausting. Part of the way we go through life is by having well-established patterns. We use our brains to figure out only the things that are new to us. And our brains don't have to work very hard. I think about bringing home groceries. I don't have to decide where to put them. I know that the cereal boxes go where the cereal boxes go. And here you're trying to put out, you know, spices and they, no, they don't go there. Let's put them there. Just, it's so exhausting. There are too many things that we have to decide. And to top it all off, we're locked into our homes and we're encountering so many new things. I mean, our homes are supposed to be familiar to us, but they're this place now where we're having to uh, encounter new, new things. I keep thinking about how at the end of the day, I feel so exhausted. And I say to myself, I didn't do anything today. I didn't go anywhere except for every decision I had to make felt like something new. As we go forward, we just have to recognize how exhausting it really is. Yeah. I was talking with a friend the other day about this very thing, Scott, and what he said was, it's not the things that we're working on. It's the things that are working on us that are making us so tired. And I thought, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And as I've been thinking about that, right, it, it takes me back to Psalm 137 and just this kind of, I think, dual calling both to recognize that we're in a new place and the strangeness of that and to, to grieve the loss of the old. But part of it is how do we get to know God again in this new place? And I think part of that means how do we get to know God again, apart from the kind of cultural patterns that we've always known from the places we've always known, the people um, with whom we've always known God. And so I think there is embedded in that uh, certainly a fair amount of grief and loss, but it also occurs to me that there's an extraordinary opportunity embedded in that as well. I think about what it might mean to get to know God in relationship to um, sisters and brothers of other socioeconomic and racial backgrounds that might help me get to know who God is in a new way. There's all kinds of space and doors that have been opened up, but are we willing to do that? Are we willing to accept this new reality of the unknown and 
remember and get to know who God is again in this new home. So we've talked so far about two pivots. The first pivot is come to terms with the fact that we are not going back anytime soon. And the second pivot is to make a new home. Like Terry moving her daughter into a a new home. There's trial and error. There's living in chaos. So that's the second pivot. I think the third pivot for us is to recognize that in exile, it's really easy to lose sight of God. You think about the, the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is constructed so that the first 39 chapters are about the coming exile and the pain of the exile. And between Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40, there's years and years of living in exile. And then Isaiah 40 comes. And I have to say that Isaiah 40 is one of my very favorite passages in all of Scripture. It starts out, comfort, O comfort, my people. Tell them that their punishment has ended. It's it's the moment when the exile begins to end. It hasn't actually ended yet. No one's gone back to Jerusalem. But it is that moment when it begins to end. I think about what's a, a good image for this. If you've ever seen a bad pirate movie or any kind of movie from the 1950s where the people are lost at sea, and they're kind of becalmed. And there's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it, it, there's the pirate ship or the, or, or the, the people that are, that are in this clipper ship. And, you know, they're kind of all wandering, you know, lolling about and they're running out of water. And there's one lone guy up in the crow's nest hoping to, and, and then all of a sudden he yells out, land ho. In other words, I can finally see the land. That's the moment of Isaiah 40. The people are not yet rescued, but they know it's going to be okay. Or I think about, you know, when I was growing up, my mom used to love to watch on Saturdays old cowboy and Indian movies. And so many of them had the same kind of scene where the, you know, these people are, are being attacked and there's the covered wagons, they've turned them over and they've put them into a circle and, you know, they're shooting and, you know, they've gotten to the point where they look and they realize they're almost out of bullets and they're wondering what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden in the distance, you hear the cavalry. You don't even even see them. You just hear the bugle in the distance and you know everything's going to be okay. That's Isaiah 40. Nothing's happened yet, but suddenly God has spoken. And Old Testament scholars tell us that if you read the Hebrew carefully, you recognize that the chapter of Isaiah 40 is constructed in what they call a chiastic structure. It's got all the words point to one phrase that's at the middle of it. And the phrase at the middle of it is, in our translation, just says simply, behold your God. It's like, what does that mean? Well, what it means is like land ho. It means, look, there's God. And for those of us who live normal lives, we're just like, well, you know, okay, there's God. So what? But for somebody who's been wondering for 70 years, has God abandoned us? Will God ever return to us? It's like saying land ho. It's like hearing the, the trumpet in the, the bugle in the distance and recognizing it's all going to be okay. And it's because the most important thing the exiles needed to hear is look there's God. God has not abandoned you. And I think that in the midst of our pivoting, in the midst of our making a new home in this place, we can begin to wonder, 
what does it look like to see God? I mean, because we're used to seeing God at church. We don't get to go to church. We're used to seeing God with our friends. Oh, we don't get to see our friends. There's all these ways in which we're used to seeing God, and they've been taken away from us. And part of what we need to do is build new ways so that we don't lose sight of the God who is our sustaining power. You know, that's interesting, Scott. Just this morning, as I was out for my run, I was remembering uh, a colleague of mine just moved into a new house and did a house blessing. And I was just thinking about what would a house blessing look like for my daughter and son-in-law in this time? And I think the, what you just said reminded me of the purpose. I so easily get caught up in a new move on everything I'm doing. Did we make the right decision about where to put things? And have we done enough? Is all of those kinds of pieces. And, and this is a reminder that we can be free of all of our work, that living, making a home is really about the relationships, the people, the love, the interactions, and God is in the midst of all of those. I wonder if for me as a church leader and for me as a person, if the first move of this is just leading into that, this is giving it back to God that God's in in charge of the timeline, if you will, and of of asking for God to just show up. I know that I, when I've been in very stressful times of my life, I begin my day with quiet time with God and a practice that I've added because I don't sleep well when my mind is going is at the end of the day to hand the to-do list, the unfinished work, the things that are on my heart back to God and to say, I'll pick it up in the morning. And I wonder if we as church leaders need to do that. But I also wonder if our congregations need to begin to have some practices that help us keep sight on this is God's time. And we get to live together in community in God's hands, with God out in front of us. When Jeannie and I moved into a house, I don't know how long ago, one of the things that we were talking about is how we often need reminders that God is with us. Mm-hmm. And we were on a retreat at that point. When we were talking about this. We were just sitting in a garden, having a very intense conversation. And we started thinking about the biblical idea of the Ebenezer. And so we just picked up four or five rocks that happened to be in that garden. There were, you know, one was three inches, one was two inches, one was a one, you know, just, you know, small little rocks. And we brought them home and we put them on our mantle, our own little Ebenezer. That was a reminder that the God who brought us safe this far will surely lead us home. Uh, um, um, Ebenezer is a monument to God's faithfulness. And it's, we talk about it even to this day, 25, 30 years later, that when we get worried, when we wonder, we kind of have this visual reminder that God is with us. So now we have three pivots. We have the pivot of the fact that we have to recognize we're never going, uh, we're not going back anytime soon. The pivot of saying we need to make a new home. 
and the pivot that says that we need reminders that God is with us. That leads us to think about where we're going next. Next week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to live well in a land that does not allow for planning? We've never been there before. What does it look like? It's almost like we live in an an area of permanent whitewater, being bounced around in the water, where we react rather than plan. But we'll talk about that next week. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of our Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources from LEAD, you can go to waytolead.org, or from Faith LEAD, go to faithlead.luthersem.edu.